and welcome to The Loop Podcast. This is a podcast that enables B2B marketers to stay in the loop with what works today when it comes to marketing to the modern buyer. Um, and that being said, I couldn't have a better guest with me today. I'm joined by Antonia Wade, who's group CMO at PwC and author of the book, Transforming the B2B Buyer Journey. Um, and I'm your host, Alistair Corsi, CMO at Cognizant. So we will get into it. We're going to be talking all about this amazing book of Antonia's and her view on um, how that buyer journey has changed. So I will hand over to Antonia to just give a brief introduction to herself, to you and her role at PwC and also the book. Thank you. Thanks, Alice. Um, and thanks for having me on. I'm very excited to um, hopefully share some helpful thoughts uh, with your listeners. Um, so yes, as you say, I'm the Global Chief Marketing Officer of PwC. PwC is one of the world's uh, biggest, most trusted brands. We offer um, accountancy, tax and consulting solutions to companies all over the world. And we have offices uh, in pretty much every country in the world as well. So a very exciting job. Um, and our clients are dealing with all sorts of really interesting uh, topics and challenges. In the role, um, I have a team that looks after um, uh, strategy, messaging, and governance of this incredible brand. Um, we run global campaigns on, on topics like uh, sustainability, transformation. Um, we produce thought leadership. Um, and so we have pieces like the CEO survey and hopes and fears. So these are these big kind of uh, thought pieces um, that our clients use to set strategy and make decisions. Um, I run the business requirements into our client-facing technology stack. So I'm a product owner for marketing products like the dot-com uh, and marketing automation. But we also look after the requirements into our CRM and data and analytics tools. Um, and lastly, I have a team who looks to innovate and bring best practice um, to all of the countries, I run a marketing academy, we have sales framework, um, and we provide dedicated marketing services into our biggest clients. So very, very, very exciting job um, in a really interesting company. Um, and then the book. So I guess I think about uh, my background. So I've worked in B2B marketing for a very, very long time. Um, and actually, it really dates me because when I started in B2B marketing, you know, it was so, it was so uh, all about sales enablement, you know, the whole golf days and goodie bags. And it's just been a complete uh, revelation, uh, revolution, I guess, in what we do now in marketing compared to what we did when I first started. But I always loved it, even when it was that kind of old fashioned way of doing it. Um, and I get, I've spent a lot of my career in professional services and technology. So I had about 10 years at Accenture. Um, I worked at Thomson Reuters, which is a data analytics products business uh, in the financial risk teams there. Um, I worked for Capita, which is a UK-based uh, professional services company, and now for PwC. So uh, I've always been in B2B. Um, I love it. I'm very passionate about it. I'm very excited, actually. People talk about the golden age of B2B marketing. We're definitely in it. So uh, I'm excited to be part of it. Amazing. Thank you. And I guess yeah, my first question is just having heard that intro and everything that falls under the hood of what you do. Um, how did, like, I guess, why did you want to write a book? Um, and more specifically, why did you think that this whole topic of transforming B2B buying journey was so important to write about? I think we kind of share quite a similar view on this, but yeah, really interested. Yeah. A, how you found the time and, and why as well. Well, I'll start with how I found the time. So I actually had a, a, a gap between my last job and this job. 
And my husband was like, oh, please do something. Don't be knocking around the house with nothing to do. Because he just tried, but it's all insane, which uh, I thought was fair and astute. So that's that's how I started the book. Although I sort of continued on uh, through lots of travel and plane journeys and things as I took on this role. Um, But what I really felt was um, it it, it felt like there was a gap in the market for people who had been in B2B marketing for a long time, who'd been practitioner of it. Often when my teams were going to courses, um, there was sort of quite a lot of theory. Uh, Often people who moved from B2C into B2B as a topic or trying to apply only B2C principles to B2B. Um, Whereas actually, uh, I felt quite strongly that um, whilst you can employ some of the consumer principles into it, actually the reason why people buy things in B2B and how they form collective buying groups to do that um, and the internal, um, I guess, constraints of, you know, in some cases, quite an immature view of the organization about what marketing does how to think about return on that investment. And I just felt like there was space uh, in the market for uh, somebody who had been through every sort of possible CFO discussion, you know, strong sales opinion discussion, big transformation efforts and really bringing on digital and insights into, into B2B marketing. So I say in the introduction that it's the book that I wish that I'd had when I was a manager, senior manager, trying to figure out, you know, how to to do better marketing, provide better service to buyers, and to talk to the organizations that I worked for um, about how marketing could help them better. So I felt like there was a, a gap there. And also, um, one of the things that I tackled quite early on, and we might want to talk a little bit about, is the the idea of the marketing funnel is a very unhelpful one in B2B marketing. You know, the concept that you have a single person or a singular group of people making very logical decisions kind of that are sequential in nature um, just doesn't really hold true today. And, and I, let me give you a factual uh, example of that. So recent uh, studies that we've done has shown that not only uh, has it moved since 2019 to now have not just five to seven, but more like 11 to 15 buyers involved in any one decision that people are making. We also saw that individuals within um, our client environment are personally involved in up to 12 decisions. So the idea that they're just buying one thing in a singular way just isn't true. And so the relationship that you might have with your buyers uh, is very complicated. And sometimes they're the primary buyers, sometimes they're an influencer, they're coming in and out of the process. There's a lot of delegation that goes on. People form buying committees who have very different points of views and perspectives and who are trying to get to an agreed outcome. And the funnel doesn't help you with any of that. And so when I looked at teams around the world and friends of mine in B2B marketing, who were really struggling with showing impact, how they were making money, how they were creating return. Well, my belief is if you start with a funnel, you will never really be able to do that. Amazing. Could not agree more. (laughs) um and so this takes us really nicely onto the next question which is that you know in the book you propose a new way to think about the b2b buyer journey um so it'd be great if you wouldn't mind giving us um an overview of the framework and how you view that journey you know if we're saying death to the funnel i guess like what's what's the other thing yeah well what i offer is a framework um and the reason why i call it a framework um is because um, in any part of the framework, your target addressable market could be very different. 
And the idea that somebody goes through each part of the framework might not be true. So you might find, for example, very senior people in some parts of it, and then they delegate other parts of it um, to more junior people. So, you know, you need to be thoughtful about where is the buyer in their process, because it might be the first time they've encountered you, even if you as a organization have been communicating with people in that client organization for some time. So I offer a framework because I think people come in and out of it. The target addressable market does change within each of it. Um, and as a result, the content, uh, the channels and also the metrics that you use probably need to change according to where you think the buyer is in the framework. So that that's sort of the principle of why it's a framework rather than a funnel. Um, the five uh, areas that I talk about, um, and it is, I, I mean, it's for everyone in B2B marketing, but obviously my experience is more in professional services and tech, right? So it tends to be more complicated um, and um, uh, complicated uh, things that we're selling that can take a, a long time. So I start with what I call the horizon scanning phase. So this is typically people in very senior jobs who are looking uh, out at, like at a macroeconomic level over a number of years to figure out what are the opportunities and threats uh, for their organization as they look at what's happening in their sector and in the world at large. Um, and at that point, they're not really, they're not in the market to buy anything. They're in the market for ideas and they're in the market for uh, provocation. Once they've been inspired by ideas or you know, have, you know, they have kind of decided that they might need to do something, they shape at a very high level what they might want to do. And I call that, I call that the explorer phase. So they're really thinking about, and in, in these two phases, no, they're not actually in the market for buying, they're in the market to create their own business case and make a prioritization call about whether what they could do differently is more important than some of the things they previously committed. Um, and that's important because getting too into the selling motion in that part of the process isn't very helpful. The other thing that we see often, or and I talk about in the book, is that at that point, they probably want to uh, absorb short leadership. They want to hear about what your brand has to say about certain topics. They don't necessarily want to engage with your people yet because they're still shaping and forming what they want to do. Um, and again, that's important because in B2B, we're quite often really thinking about that human channel um, and how do we um, and how do we kind of like get that human channel working. But in that part of the process, it might be that you're having to do a lot of work through third party channels, for example, and you're really having to think about thought leadership in quite a specific way. So through a Horizon Scanner and Explorer, um, your biggest threat to doing business is either inertia, so the buyers decide that they're not going to do anything this year, or that they can't afford to do it this year and they push it out, or uh, that they think that they can do it themselves. So your marketing needs to be doing something for you in terms of inspiration there. Once they've decided that they want to do something and they're actually in a buyer, they're kind of going into market with a view to buying something, I call that the explorer phase. So they're, they've got a well-defined problem that they've probably got funding against and they're out in the market looking for providers who could help them to uh, to overcome that problem or to help them to do what they need to do. Um, what you find for sort of more um, straightforward um, types of marketing and sales uh, where the business problem's well understood, perhaps your buyers have bought it before, is that it might be that people come into the framework at that explorer phase. They might not go through, sorry, at that hunter phase. They might not go through 
Horizon Scanner and Explorer, you might come straight to Hunter. But at some point, they're going to have a good business case and they're going to come in at Hunter. And then you're really competing against your peers to make sure that your value proposition is well understood. Typically, then, if they go into a shortlist process and you're in bid, that I call active buyer. Um, and then once uh, they've bought something from you, um, they're, they're a client, as I call them in the book. Um, and there you might have one of two objectives. Either you want to drive loyalty because you want to keep competitors out, but also driving loyalty creates advocacy that helps you in the Horizon Scanner, Explorer, and Hunter phases um, with, other, with other prospects. Or uh, you want to increase your share of wallets. And there I offer um, a version of that Horizon Scanner, Explorer, Hunter uh, model, but adapted for where a client where a client is already working with you and already knows you. So those are the five phases, horizon scanner, strategic, outward facing, explorer, trying to figure out what they're trying to, going to do and define a business case, hunter, where they're in the market looking for uh, solutions, active buyer, when you're shortlisted against a couple and you're in bid, and then client, where you're looking to either drive loyalty, expand share of wallet or both. Amazing. And I guess like, so for some of these phases, I think it's fairly obvious um, like how you're going to be measuring success and it probably would be fa- quite familiar to marketers, but especially with those earlier phases, I think it probably would be a bit more um, nuanced and not and probably not as clear to marketers um, as we're trained today of how you would be measuring success. So just interested to hear from you, like how how do you go t- about tackling, like are you succeeding at each of these phases? Um, and yeah, what does that look like? Yeah, so in the book, what I do is I offer some suggestions about what type of content and what type of channels could you be using for each phase? And I also talk about what are the things you could be measuring in each phase. But because of the longitudinal nature of the sale, uh, just at a fundamental level, I look at metrics in three kind of buckets. One is uh, is sort of, I guess, output metrics. So, you know, how many webinars did you do? How many events? That shows you're a productive team. It shows that you're uh, in the market. Then you have your outcome metrics, which will be much more longer term around, you know, sales, pipeline conversion. And then I offer this idea of indicator metrics, because sometimes the distance between activity and outcome can be a number of years. And you need the organization to stay with you and feel like marketing's working and not keep switching out what they're trying to do, which I think is very disruptive in terms of being able to talk about return on investment. So in each of the chapters, I talk about what are the indicator metrics that you can use to show um, the organization that marketing is having an impact and it's working and will get them towards those longer term outcomes, but also so that you as marketers know that what you're doing is working and you have a chance to course correct or adapt as needed. So thinking about three different types of metrics and being quite clear about that, of course, you don't want to be confusing with your business about what you're measuring, what you're doing, but as a marketer, I think you need, we need to be more sophisticated about how we're thinking about that input outcome and then indicator metrics balance. I think it's so interesting and, and people just want like one dashboard for everything and it's not possible these days. It's, it's not possible. And also in terms of making decisions, one of the things I also talk about is how do you make decisions about where to invest? Because actually, you know, you can, and we see a lot, don't we, in B2B that really held to a sales cycle and a sales methodology if we need to hit this number in this quarter, and therefore that's what marketing's for. But actually, depending on what the objectives are and how you're going to drive growth for your business, that might be the least efficient place to spend your money. You might be much better off creating future demand, uh, which would push you then towards those earlier phases. 
So then you're actually having a more commercial conversation with your business about where is the right place to put the money so that marketing is actually doing the job of marketing. And if you need marketing to be providing sales enablement, that's fine. But at least you can talk about the trade-off against future demand gen and lead generation. And I think often we, in that pursuit of the one number that you talk about, you're then really kind of mixing up the value from investing in uh, brand activities versus demand gen activities. I think that's a false trade-off. We see brand work helping you as much in bid as it does kind of really early on in the process. And so, and so it just forces you to have this kind of lead gen brand or awareness trade-off. And actually, that's about your business priorities. It shouldn't be something you should be trying to trade off in marketing. And I think actually companies who have been doing that have will probably be suffering the most right now versus companies who have had that longer term view and um, that demand gen brand focus for longer as well. So there's always... Lucky, but it does depend on the business you're in. And I've been lucky enough to work in a whole load of different businesses. And, you know, I've also worked in businesses where, you know, it's thinking about the next five years, you've got to get through this year. And actually, maybe it is a good investment in marketing funds to try and accelerate pipeline and close deals faster, right? But then you have to be grown up and honest about that and not then the following year kind of get hammered for the fact that the brand awareness has gone down, right? So, yeah, that's what I mean. It's the right tool for the job. So it's about having the right conversation with the business about what do you actually need marketing to do for you here? And if the sales team are doing a great job, actually maybe you should be focusing on future demand and if there's lots of leads line, they, they, that's probably the situation. If you're a business in survival mode, which many are, then maybe you are better off closing the pipeline. But at least you have a you're making a choice about it, rather than it feeling like it's in the dark arts of marketing and marketing sort of being pulled to do all of these things with very small budgets without that clarity of it's actually a strategic choice that you're making about where you want to put money. Definitely. And it's a nice um segue into the next point, which I'm really interested to speak about. We we we've been talking about this a lot at Cognizant, but um, this whole idea of moving marketing from like sales support into actually like doing the job of marketing. Um, and I think obviously different companies and businesses are on a different um, sort of uh, uh, advancement when it comes to this. And it again, sort of depends business to business as well. But um, where do you see like marketing's role when it comes to this now? I mean, you mentioned in the active buyer phase in the book that marketing should support sales actively by providing sort of the right digital information and I guess I'm just interested how does this type of sales support differ to that traditional kind of marketing supporting sales role that we know we know that we want to move marketing away from yeah it's interesting and I end with a reasonably provocative idea I guess um supported by um, a very senior sales leader that I interview as part of the book um and what we discuss in that chapter is really that the most successful companies of the future, marketing will set the client experience and sales will service it. And I genuinely believe that to be true. And so, you know, if we're thinking about that mechanism of moving uh, where, where it's marketing setting the expectation and everyone in the organization, not just sales, but everyone in the organization then serving into it. Um, and I look at the types of channels now that are owned in marketing, which are the inside channels. I mean, that is what your .com's doing for you. That's what your events are doing for you. That's what your content's doing for you. And so, you know, the, being able to get these aggregate insights at a universal level and trying to understand what a buyer is trying to do um, in a way that it's hard for a buyer to talk to a human being about. I mean, if you're my account person, I'll give you a version of the truth. 
but actually your digital my digital footprint might tell you something very very different about how i'm thinking about the problem how i'm thinking about your competitors so marketing increasingly is owning these insight what i think of as insight channels and how we feed those insights into um, the organization whether that's product development whether that's sales whatever it is um is is it becoming more and more important but designing campaigns with generating insights at its heart is something that marketing organizations are definitely on a journey in terms of really upskilling themselves to do it is really difficult to do to really think about what am i trying to learn about what the buyer is doing at this point with this piece of information and how do i then interpret it into something actionable for my organization and the reality is it's hard to find agencies that can help you to do that. It's hard to find marketing teams that are really well versed in that. So that's something that we're all learning to do. But as we learn to do it, and we talked a bit about being in the golden age of marketing, I mean, then you become the client, you set the client experience. You're the people who are doing the kind of really total listening to the client. And you're the insights generation for the organization to be able to surpass their competitors. How exciting. But we all need to kind of step up into that as a challenge. And there's a trade-off then uh, around some of the things that we've been doing in the past. Amazing. Um, and so just talking a bit about brand and brand, the role of like brand building within all of this, um, in the book, you, you refer to it as memory building, which I really like. How does this mindset kind of help you create effective brand campaigns, messaging and ideas? Well, so again, in the brand chapter of the book, what I do is I take the framework and talk about what brand's doing for you at each point. Because this idea that brand helps you in the traditional top of funnel and then it hands off into some sort of demand generation mechanic, again, not helpful. A, you said, well, but B, the idea that brand is or isn't more important at a certain point, we don't find to be true. And we find, you know, I have found in my experience that, um, you know, having a really great, strong brand helps you as much with advocacy with your existing clients and helps you as much with increasing share of wallet with your existing clients as it does attracting new prospects. Um, and at the point of purchase, which as I mentioned in the book is very fraught with risk for the buyers because, you know, they are putting a lot of personal and professional reputation on the line when they're making that choice. Having a strong brand can be very, very helpful or at least having a well-aligned brand to the organization that your clients represent can be extremely helpful for you in terms of tipping a decision uh, one way or another. So so in the book, I talk about what brand's doing for you at each particular point of the journey. And I don't just talk about brand in terms of awareness. I also talk about it in terms of things like brand architecture and purpose, because it's doing different things for you. And going back to what we were talking about before, you need to make a choice about where do you want to put that brand investment versus aligned to what do you need it to do for you amazing all that being said just as a kind of final point on brand um because again i think you're measuring different things for it um having um thinking about the relationship between thought leadership and brand thinking about the relationship between expertise and brand thinking about the relationship between brand and loyalty i think moves you necessarily out of a b2c mindset of we stick a big ad around our clients and that will help them to make a decision and the memory point that you referred to came from the fact that you know sometimes sometimes something that they've seen triggers a spur of thought that doesn't realize in a sale for five years right so so, so being memorable and spending time and energy thinking about 
what are the assets that you have within your brand that help you to be memorable and what is that link with thought leadership for us for in professional services in particular is really important um, because it can be easy to get misattributed to one of your competitors and then all of your hard work was for nothing amazing um and so like we'd like to always try and make this like super practical for people and I guess you this is a great um chance for us to understand from somebody's working in a really large organization how do you go about implementing or the process of implementing a framework like this um and the chain managing that whole change process as well and getting the buy-in yeah so my suggestion would be and what we've tried to do is take it as a starting point right you're gonna need to make it real for the organization that you're in and you know, don't get hung up in the names of things but more you conceptually getting the organization to buy into the fact that it's a framework getting the organization to help to say okay what does some what does our buyer look like and act like in each part of the framework and how might we know that they're moving from one bit to the next and having that discussion with the organization and getting super clear about that really really helps you because that then leads you into a conversation about where do you actually need the marketing help the most what are you actually asking marketing to do and I think that that's important because we do have restricted budgets, even in big organizations. It's, we do need to be very thoughtful about where do we put those dollars for best return and trying to do all things all the time or trying to do the things you've always done in the past but achieve different results is probably not very realistic. So taking a framework and having that very straightforward conversation with the organization about what does this framework look like for us, what typifies the market, the target market in each part of this framework and how do we know that the buyer is on the move will really help to set you up for success because you can then isolate where, where can marketing actually um, be helpful. Um, getting alignment on where you hand off as well is also important. So in an organization like ours, we have global teams, we have teams in markets, uh, we have um, regional teams. So you know, starting to get alignment across which bits of it are best served from a content and channel perspective um, by which parts of the organization, how do we make sure that we have the good, a good feedback loop across the whole thing? So we're validating our hypothesis about how this framework would work. But I do think sharing the metrics across all of it is quite important. So you have a singular metrics dashboard, even if it's got quite a lot of in it, and even if each of you is responsible for different parts of it, that's really helped us to, uh, well, I think that would help any organization to make sure that you're all moving in the right direction and that you all have agreed those metrics up front. Amazing. Super helpful. Thank you. And one question we love to ask our guests to end on um, is obviously, as you say, golden age for marketing right now. And I think things have, we've never had more opportunity and things have never really been changing faster. So um, based on the current landscape that we're in, what would you tell marketers to was one thing you'd tell marketers to start doing, one thing you'd tell them to stop doing, and one thing you'd encourage them to continue doing? Nice question. Um, well, start doing, if not already, um, how, adopting a kind of curiosity and a growth mindset. Um, and I guess that's a bit linked to the stop doing. Maybe I should have started there. I mean, the idea that the plan that you did two years ago is going to work for you this year just isn't realistic. And um, yeah, I do think it can be really hard. And again, I offer advice in the book because I've been there, you know, to get people off this, you know, well, we've been at this event every year for the last 10 years and we've done this sort of leadership every year for the last six years, you know, but that you have to really challenge that. And it might still be the right thing to do, but every year you should be challenging it and saying, does it still achieve the objectives that we need to achieve for our buyers today? 
would we be better off shifting that money elsewhere? And just as an aside, it's kind of interesting because we all had quite a nice break from events, for example, during COVID. And we then had money to do other things. And we saw some great digital innovations happening. I saw it all over B2B marketing. And now suddenly the budgets are being pulled back into events again. And I see that across uh, my marketing peers. And I wonder about that. Like This was the chance perhaps to just to challenge whether, you know, going back uh, was the right thing to do. So in terms of stop, I, I would say stop assuming that what got you here will get you there. Um, and, and in order to enable that, you need to start having a curious mindset. And at a minimum, again, even with an organization where I've worked in the past, people are very wedded to specific, let's say, events, you know, encouraging people to say, well, could we expand out the channels a bit more? Could we think about the run up into it and the exit out of it in a more omni-channel way and just start to get the organization into a place where you're really thinking about a diversity of channels? Um, because otherwise, I think it's really, really hard for you to ever get return on investment. Um, and then in terms of uh, what to continue, um, I would say continue to have confidence in yourself as being this insights, client insights engine. Um, and if you're designing your campaigns in the right way, and if you're thinking about digital in the right way, um, and you're really thinking about what do I want a buyer to do next? What options am I offering them? What am I trying to learn? How might I use the insight about them going from this place to this place or this event to this thing in order to help my organization decrease time and pipeline or make a bigger sale? And um, just stick with that because it can be easy to get knocked off course with it um, to the kind of latest shiny object. Um, but maintaining that commitment to what's the next best thing that you want somebody to do and not just cutting off the journey, these sort of random points. Um, that would be something I would continue to advise you to do uh, and feel confident about doing. Amazing. Well, this has been such an interesting conversation and I definitely recommend for everyone um, listening, please go get a copy of this book. I know we get so many questions about how to how to do marketing today, like to this modern B2B buyer that we're all kind of bought into when people are saying, oh, very well, good, but like, how do we actually start? Where do we get going? But this sounds like a great framework and place for people to begin that journey. And um, so definitely recommend going and grabbing oh, coffee and oh, it's been lovely to chat to you so thank you so much for giving us all of your time thanks Alice I appreciate it and as I said you know I, I do bear some scars and so I do hope that the book um uh, gives people not just new ways to think about things but also ways to ha of how do you handle um how do you handle getting that change into the organization um and hopefully some thoughts about how do you have good constructive conversations uh, to enable marketing to really realize its potential. So thank you for reading the book. Thank you for having me on it. Thank you for endorsing and supporting it. Um, it's great to be part of the B2B marketing community.